What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. In this episode of Creator Support, we're going to answer your questions. First question, Colin, did you hear some of the intros that we got sent in the mail? Uh, I did not. And when I say the mail, I mean the email. Got it. This comes from Sean Thomas, who sent us, it looks like six options for intros. This is option 1B that I'm going to play right now. Here we go. That's nice. Let's listen to 1A. Creator support. Yeah, I like that. Option I, I, 1A was good. 1A, I like when we say creator support and yeah. it sounds like we're on the phone with you. Yeah, I like the ringtone. That was cool. We, now I'm hooked to the game. Let's listen to one more option and then we'll get this going. A little too smooth for yep, me. Too no, no, smooth. No, we're, we're gonna, not that smooth. We're going to go with option 1A, Sean. Thank you for that. And if you guys have jingles, send them to us. We're figuring it out. Um, all right. What are we talking about this episode? Today, we're going to be talking about AI and how it affects creators, how we would like it to affect creators. Next, we're going to be answering a question from a parent on how they can best help their son who wants to be a creator. And then lastly, we get a surprise call from a creator on the show. Should we reveal who it is? All I'm going to say is we talk about live content, live streams on YouTube, live events. Maybe they'll give you a hint. Samir, tell them who it is. It's creator support. From AI-generated content to AI-powered editing tools, it's clear that the future of the internet is intertwined with the advancement of AI technology. But what does this mean for creators themselves? Will AI, will AI, damn it, will AI render themselves, uh, you want me to try? Damn it, dude, I can't. Uh, you can't even. I can't, you, you know, I always used to get stressed when the teacher would call on me for, for reading in class. You can't do scripts, man. Okay, all so right. So what Samir will, was about to read will, will you was do written it? by AI. Yeah, can you read it? Start where I picked it. Uh, just say, will AI render. Can I ad lib a little bit? No, read the AI script, man. That's the whole beginning of this pod. Okay. Welcome to the AI powered episode of our podcast. We're going to be, uh, I already ad libbed. Okay. Don't ad lib, read the, read the script. Welcome to the AI-powered episode of our podcast, where we'll be exploring the ways in which artificial intelligence is changing the game for online content creators. From AI-generated content to AI-powered editing tools, it's clear that the future of the internet is intertwined with the advancement of AI technology. But what does it mean for the creators themselves? Will AI render them obsolete, or will it simply enhance their abilities and open up new possibilities for their work? Join us as we dive into the exciting and sometimes controversial world of AI and online content creation. Wow, good job, Colin. But Thanks. also, good job, ChatGPT. That's a pretty good opening. Yeah. Like, it's not bad. And, and, and that came out in a matter of 10 seconds with the input, a script for a witty podcast opening about the impact of artificial intelligence on online content creators. If anything, if you don't have any team, it's at least a good start. It's more For than sure. an outline. You know, it can get your brain thinking. It's an input. Dude, it's way more than an outline. Like, that is that is good as is. Like, sure, you can enhance it to match your brand a little bit more, but, like, someone can start their own brand off of stuff like this. Yeah. Like, that sounds compelling. And it's right. It is an exciting and sometimes controversial world of AI and online content creation. I don't like the fact that AI knows it's controversial. <laughs> that feels suspect. That is crazy. So the tool we're using is called ChatGPT. Um, ChatGPT has grown in five days. So it launched like at the end of November. And in five days, 
it reached over a million users. It's one of the fastest growing software platforms and definitely the most compelling use of AI that we've seen to date, I would say. The most impressive use of it so far for me was MKBHD. He made a video mm -hmm. about AI and about ChatGPT. Uh, and very similarly to what we just did, he had his entire intro written by ChatGPT. Yeah, ChatGPT. What does the GPT stand for? No idea, man. It's okay. an AI thing. But he doesn't reveal it until minutes into the video, and I was shocked. You wouldn't want to listen to an entire video created by an AI, would you? Except you just did, because every word that I just read to you came directly from asking OpenAI's AI chatbot called ChatGPT to write a script for an MKBHD video on why AI can't replace online creators. And I simply just recited it. Yeah, and, and the thing that's cool about MKBHD is that he's he's been on the internet for so long, he's so you know out there that he actually was able to type into ChatGPT an MKBHD intro, and it was able to speak in his tone of voice. Like, honestly, no idea until he revealed it, which was crazy. Um, so it, it, is, it is an interesting world to talk about. And I think as we look back at this year with Dali, with Lenza, which is the app that everyone was using or has been using to- To make themselves look hot. I don't think it's hot, man. It's just like, I don't know what it is. It's like illustrated versions of yourself. Like we're looking at a bunch of me is this like any hotter than I actually am? You're telling me you don't get a dopamine rush when you look at those Not, photos of yourself looking like a Greek god? Are you telling me this one in the middle looks good? I feel like I look old and wrinkly. What? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Come on. Okay, anyway, if you've yeah. used Lenza, it spits out, you know, 100 images of you and can actually just like replicate your face. And some of the images look fake and like illustrations, but some of them just look like photos. It seems like for the first time we're seeing what AI can actually become, especially in the context of where we, like what we do. And ChatGPT spitting out scripts, spitting out descriptions, copy, articles, blog posts, essays is crazy to me. Yeah, it, it's connecting dots in ways that make you feel like for the first time a computer is creative. I felt mm. like there was always this distinction between humans and computers that computers were a tool to help humans be creative. Like when I use Adobe totally. Photoshop, when I use Illustrator, whatever it is, when I'm putting clips next to each other, I'm making those decisions in a way that I feel is creative. But now with things like ChatGPT, they're just connecting dots based on data of what's already out there in the world. And they're putting something together that's entirely new, which in a sense is creative. Had a human done it, you would have said, oh, that's a, yeah, it's a creative work of art. Yeah, I like the... Um or not like, but I'm curious about the concept of a script like this paired with AI technology that can take like my face, let's say, and create a composition of my face. And then you go one step further and you think about like the TikTok account, Deep Tom Cruise, which is run by this guy, Miles Fisher. If you haven't checked it out, type it in, check it out. Um, essentially a deep fake of Tom Cruise. And that synthetic media, as he calls it, is they're also able to replicate a voice. So now you take my face, my voice, and a script. That's a pretty wild world that we can start to live in. You know, like you pair those three things together and it's going to be hard to distinguish, especially in the world of podcasting or voiceover. It's going to be hard to distinguish 
if that's really the person or not. And over time, like take our show as an example, you run all of our episodes through AI. I don't know the terminology here, but imagine there is data on how you and I interact. Yeah. Words that we would actually say. Mannerisms. Mannerisms. Yep. Pair that with synthetic media, with fake versions of ourselves at a podcast set, and then put new inputs in. Give me a show where Colin and Samir talk about whatever. AI. AI, right? Sure. And then all of a sudden you could potentially generate yeah. a show just yeah. like that. Now, you know, we have a level of excitement around this, and I, I personally I do. I think it's like an exciting time. It's also a little bit of a scary time, but there's a lot of people who don't feel super positive about this, you know, especially the world of artists. But there was a poll run in our subreddit said, how do you feel about creators using AI? There's a ton of votes on this. The majority say I'm neutral on the matter. Um, the minority say creators are worse off with AI. And, and second is creators are better off with AI. What do you think about this? What would your vote be here? Yeah, I think it's difficult to say from a creation standpoint. In a way, maybe it's a positive because it'll get you it's like a means to an end. You can be closer to the finished product if you have a script that's written mm -hmm. as an example. But personally, I I'm still in a mindset and a mind frame where I would rather just go down the route of failing, trying things, learning how to write on my own, as opposed to pulling all this data from the internet using a computer to give me a V1 of a script. Like yeah, I, I, yeah. I think it depends. Like, are you making media? Sure. Where you just need to get as much out as possible, or are you trying to express yourself? I agree. And uh, that's not to say that using AI inhibits you from expressing yourself. It's again, it's another tool that some people will mm -hmm. use to create art, but it does blur the lines. I think art, I think you made an important distinction there, and I I disagree with you on art. I don't think it's a tool that's used to make art. I think it's a tool to, that's used to make media. How can you say that someone can't use AI to make art? I think it just blurs the definition of art too much. You know, like I, I, I think it, it, it's confusing. I don't know how to explain that any further or articulate it, but I, I think that media is very possible to be made. So meaning like if someone needs to crank out a bunch of blog posts, ChatGPT is probably like the best possible tool you could have. You know, best possible tool. Or you think about our friction of making shorts came from writing scripts, right? And of course, like the best shorts have come from when you specifically have sit down and like written a really good script. But like having a starting point is an interesting opportunity and eventually ingesting all the best scripts we've made and having that, you know, input into an AI and then spit out like scripts in our direction is, is kind of interesting. I just put in uh, into ChatGPT a script for a YouTube short about Ludwig's chess boxing event. That just happened. There's no way. You think there's no way? I think there's no way. Okay. Oh my God. Okay, so it's not necessarily, a, oh, it is about, actually. Oh my God, it's spitting out this, this script like it knows what this was. Is this not insane? Well, give me an example. Welcome to the world of chess. This is not necessarily like a Colin and Samir YouTube short. It's like a YouTube short of Ludwig explaining his own chess boxing event. But my input was a script for a YouTube short about Ludwig's chess boxing event. Welcome to the world of chess boxing, the ultimate hybrid of brains and brawn. In this sports, competitors alternate between rounds of chess and boxing, showcasing their strategic thinking and physical prowess in a true test of mental and physical endurance. And tonight, we're bringing you live coverage of the highly anticipated Ludwig's chess boxing event. 
As the chess players take their seats at the board and the boxers enter the ring, the tension in the arena is palpable. <laughs> this is a script for someone who's commentating live. Yeah, this is commentating. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. It's just crazy that it can give you any level of like a starting point on this stuff. You know, did you, do you remember using AIM or AIM as we called it? Of course. What was your screen name? Uh, LaxAC68. It was L-A-X-A-C-6-8. Lax because I played lacrosse. Yep. AC for no reason. Sure. Six because it was my lucky number. Okay. Eight for no reason. Cool. Do Not that cool. Do you remember talking to Smarter Child? On aim, I also had another one. C Rose two one six. That's more C like for down Colin the middle. Rose yeah. for my last down name. Down the middle. Yeah. Do you remember talking to Smarter Child? Vaguely. Smarter Child was it was an AI bot through AIM that you could talk to, and essentially you could ask it questions and it would spit back out answers. It was my first engagement with AI and any sort of like chat bot, but it's interesting that this is like. ChatGPT is the incredibly advanced version of Smarter Child. And seeing it come back and what a fun activity it was for me this weekend to sit and ask ChatGPT all these questions and see what it comes back with, super interesting. We also covered it in the published press, but it was really interesting. And to see like how much data is probably being input into ChatGPT where it's learning, wild. So I think it, it offers this, this crazy opportunity for creators to... Uh, you know, get get a head start on a lot of content. But I do think this, the scary thing or the thing that's not great is it probably feeds really, it feeds the algorithmic cycle so much, right? Where now we're basing everything off of like inputs, data, analyzing the internet to say, okay, this will perform well, this won't. And moving away from what my perspective is, is like artistic expression, which is based off just like the internal human experience, with the absence of data and computer intelligence. I think what's worrisome is if, if it really gets to a point where a, a brand new creator can use something like ChatGPT and run a, a script like, you know, let's say there's someone in the tech space who, who wants to compete with MKBHD or who wants to be a tech creator, and they write, you know, write me an MKBHD script on mm. the new... Yeah whatever, phone. True, true. And all of a sudden they have this V1 that's like studied all of MKBHD's past videos and has the scripts. And now you're at a point where you can copy a creator, but it's hard to tell. There's already a problem with people feeling like on YouTube people copy thumbnails, people copy titles and formats. And this is almost uh, the utmost of it. It's like copying the true meat of the video and you may not be able to tell. Look at what I just put in. Give me 10 Mr. Beast video ideas. Number one, the most expensive video on YouTube. In this video, Mr. Beast sets out to make the most expensive video ever created on YouTube, spending millions of dollars on the over-the-top challenges, stunts, and surprises. That actually sounds like something Jimmy would do. Like literally call a video, this is the most expensive video on YouTube. Number two, the ultimate scavenger hunt. Number three, the world's largest game of tag. Not a bad idea. Number four, the billion dollar challenge. In this video, Mr. Beast sets out to give away a billion dollars in a series of outrageous challenges. Number five, the biggest giveaway in YouTube history. Okay. Number six, the most insane bet ever. Number seven, the ultimate survival challenge. Eight, the world's largest food fight. Nine, the most epic prank war ever. And 10, the most extreme stunt ever attempted. 
A lot of superlatives. Yeah, a lot of superlatives. And it's not perfect, right? But I think what's interesting is as it gets more smart. I think that was an interesting- As it gets more smart? Yeah. I need AI to help me with my (laughs) sentences. Sorry to call you out there. AI, what did you, what should I say there? As I get more intelligent, uh, as AI gets more intelligent, then, you know, what, what happens? How much better do these get? And then, like you said, someone puts in like, I want to make a video like Colin and Samir. And it's like, well, just make this video. And it knows what we would do next better than what we know we would do next. Cause it knows our audience's behavior, where they're moving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it knows what we would do next or how you could, you know, replicate what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, I think, again, it feeds into the algorithmic version of content. I think that's where visual artists already have much more of a problem because yeah. you can scrub the data of an artist for how they actually visually make something and you can take elements from them and recreate their work. Yeah, we saw a response to our published press uh, newsletter, which was titled Unreal, that came through the subreddit. And it said, I just wanted to comment on the AI from the artist's perspective. The biggest criticism and complaint is the fact that in order to teach the AI what it knows, the AI needs to be fed something. And that something being art, obviously. However, artists work being fed through AI and essentially stolen in order for people to pay a cheap buck to get cool drawings of themselves. It's not even about putting artists out of business. Uh, That isn't the fear for me. I can understand why some artists would fear that, but rather the way their years of practice in perfecting their art has been stolen and fed into AI. So this post goes goes on to kind of explore that and and the ethics and the the concept that in order for AI to know anything, it's going to have to be fed all of our work. You know, there's there's some element that's like we're sharing all of our work into an algorithm anyway, right? As as video creators, do you have any feeling on this as like this concept of artists feeding their their content into AI and that's how it's getting smarter? Well, artists aren't like deliberately feeding right, right. it into or sorry, AI. Sorry, not... being stolen as as he's pre- presenting. I empathize emotionally with how an artist would feel if they spent ten years crafting in in a look and a style that was difficult to do. I mean, if if that happened to us, and we started losing traction and it hurt our business, all of a sudden there were people who came up within a year and they had just used AI to replicate what we're doing. I would be pissed. I would not be. <laughs> I would not be happy about it. Right. Yeah. Totally. All right, we're going to answer one more question about AI, and then we're going to move on to some of the more current events and questions from the subreddit. This one reads, I'm curious about how to use AI tools to improve my channel. I'm German, and I have 50K, 1,000 subscribers. I have a few ideas, but I'm not sure if it's possible. I'd like to automatically create YouTube shorts for my existing videos. It would be especially helpful to have it scan through the most engaging parts of the videos to see which clips drive the most attention. Further, I would be extremely interested in how you use the latest tools to improve your YouTube channel and what features you would like to have taken care of by an API. Thanks a lot. I I think uh, clipping is really interesting. I mean, there's some level of, you know, like, uh, you know, shout out to Pablo in our audience who built a search engine uh, for our videos. And um, that's up in the subreddit if you want to check that out. But you can like search our videos by subject and you know, find time codes. So I think there's some level of clipping and cataloging that I would love AI to do. To be like, the like imagine we know the highest retention moments. So could it set in and out points of the highest retention moments and pull those clips and then just export that out and be like, here's a clip for you of the the most played back, 
you know, moment of your, your episode. Um, and then could it eventually, you know, turn that into a vertical video? And, you know, I think there's, there's ways that that can be automated and, and be really interesting. And I do think that even as we're looking at ChatGPT, what we're, what we're finding out is that AI is pretty good at giving you a V1 of something. You then have to do the V2, but that, that initial push of getting something over the hump is really interesting to me. Like I think about when I was in high school uh, or college and trying to write an essay, the hardest thing was staring at a blank sheet of paper, right? Mm -hmm. So like if you want a clip from your YouTube channel, the hardest thing is like going in and being like, which one of these should be a clip? It's actually easier to have something and then be like, I know what's wrong with that. I'm going to fix it. Then to actually have to blank sheet and have to go figure it out. I wonder what this does to education and to school over time. I remember thinking, you know, when I got the TI-83 calculator and I knew how to use it, you know, how much do I really need to understand now that I have this calculator that can just do it? And this takes it to an entirely another level. Imagine if you could have AI write, a, write an essay for you and include sources that were vetted and like, here you go, man. It's happening right now about the catcher in the rye. You I, just, just I just put the input, an 800 word essay about the catcher in the rye. And of course, it's not going to be perfect, but... No, but what a starting like, point, The man. better that computers get and the better that AI gets, I feel like education is going to have to be a lot more about like problem solving, collaboration together. Agreed. Right? Like yeah. learning how to be flexible, not necessarily about remembering what happened in world history, because it's Look too available. One of the central themes in Catcher in the Rye is the loss of innocence. Holden is struggling to come to terms with the fact that he is growing up and can no longer hold on to the innocence of his childhood. I guess the difference is, we're this not going to retain this information. This is exemplified in his fixation of the concept of the catcher in the rye, a figure who represents his desires to protect innocence and prevent the loss of his childhood. However, you know, like, yeah. that's insane, dude. That's insane. Like, that's giving you such a good starting point for that essay. That would have helped me so much in high school. <laughs> but I do think everyone just has to adjust to this new world. You know? I will say AI is already being used by creators for thumbnails. Yep. To mock up. True. You know, someone running through the desert or if yeah. that has to do with your video. So you can start to get some initial idea of, of what would an image look like for the video that you're making before you've actually filmed it. All right, let's move on to non-AI questions. This podcast is supported by our friends at Kajabi. Kajabi is one of the most significant brands in the creator economy. Creators have earned over $6 billion on the platform through selling courses and membership. And Colin, do you know how Kajabi was started? I don't. So the founder wanted to manufacture a toy for his kid, but over time realized that manufacturing and fulfillment was really complicated. So he actually ended up making a video about how to make toys and then realized there was no good way to sell knowledge-based videos online. So he built Kajabi. So the platform is actually built by an online creator. That's really cool. And it just makes me think about how many opportunities there are in education right now. There are so many things that people know that other people would love to learn, but that they just don't have access to. And I think online creators are the absolute best teachers right now. We all know how to engage an audience through video. When we were thinking about launching our course business, student experience was the number one thing we wanted to make sure was excellent. And after looking at all the options, Kajabi was the one that really stood out because of their templates as well as everything that's built in. We're able to offer worksheets, videos, live sessions, challenges, and even a built-in community all through Kajabi. So if you're interested in checking out Kajabi, go to kajabi.com slash Colin and Samir. All right, back to the episode. Okay, this is a really nice question here. It reads, my son tells me he wants to be a creator. 
How can I best support him? You know, that's a question that we think about a lot in here when it comes to education and as we're developing curriculum for our next course that we're going to release, uh, we're actually straight after this podcast going into a brainstorm around the curriculum. And, you know, one of the, the identity groups that we're thinking about is parents who have kids who want to become creators. And I can imagine that it's frustrating or confusing or, you know, you're trying to find resources as a parent um, to learn, like, what does this mean that you want a YouTube channel? Is that okay? Is that a viable thing for you to do is, you know, how do I approach this? So I totally empathize with that. I don't know that there's a great place to learn. I like not to be so self-promotional, but I would say our YouTube channel, our catalog of interviews with other creators um, and our newsletter where you can learn stories about creators is a great place to start because you need to learn the stories of how people have made it in this industry and what they've done to date, you know, to, to build their strategies. I also think one of the most important things is to make sure that uh, your son has a community or a subject or a topic that he deeply or at least cares enough about uh, and is, is truly a member of that community in his real life that he can sort of supplement the way he interacts with that community via content and mm -hmm. be a contributing member. I think the first thing you need to have if you want to be a creator is a passion to make some sort of impact on a community. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and have something that you're into, whether it's like cooking or hiking or the outdoors. Like, you want to start with what's the thing I actually want to spend my days thinking about, talking about? Mm -hmm. And then the next step you want to layer on is okay, do I have something new I want to say or additive to this community? I think also, like, if, my, if I was in this position, my son wanted to make YouTube videos, I agree with you. I'd pick like a subject or something that, like, okay, cooking. We want to make some cooking videos together just start making the videos. Yeah. Like use your phone, film it, explore it, see what's fun about it, you know, see if it's enjoyable and try and understand. It's going to be very confusing to, to understand if a young kid wants to make YouTube videos because they're heavily attracted to this world of fame and notoriety and, you know, or, or something, or if they have a, they want to express themselves creatively, you know, like figuring out what's on the other side of that one thing you could do is say, hey, we're going to make 10 videos. We're not going to post them on YouTube, but we're going to make them together, you know, and we're going to see what that feels like. We're going to, we're going to see how it's fun. And we're going to, we're going to show them to our family. Yeah. I was going to say, if your son doesn't know what he wants to talk about, start with the smallest possible audience. Yeah. Have him make a video just for your family. That makes it easier for him to come up with an idea. It makes it easier for him to sort of empathize with how all of you would react to it, what you would like, what you wouldn't like. And that mm -hmm. takes some of the pressure off to start building those reps of making videos. Can I throw a gripe out just real quick, mid-episode gripe? Sure. So my wife and I were pretty early on the Christmas tree this year. Is you it know, dying? No, it's not dying. Okay. Sorry, I jumped the gun there because yeah, mine yeah, yeah. is a little dry. That's, and it's Are you not giving it? Only the 14th. Well, it was dead when I bought it, obviously. So Yeah, yeah but I'm saying they give you the, you know, the little... The packet. Yeah. The like ingredient. Yeah, 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 yeah. I put it in. I put water in. Nothing. No. Oh, interesting. You're, it's already dead. Actually? You buy them. No, I know. I, okay. I, yeah. All right. Let me get Sorry. to my gripe here. So bought it early. Like we're talking right after Thanksgiving. Same. She put five gifts under the tree instantly for me. Mm. Shots fired. Shots fired. Yeah. The level of stress I feel. Oh, whenever you're ready, put yours there yeah. too. Oh, it's December 1st. Whenever. Yeah. No, mine are there and they're wrapped beautifully. Yeah. I bought them in June. Yeah. And I think they're going to be really good. You're going to be surprised every day and every morning. I look at that and I go, 
when, oh my God, when am I going to have my gifts under the tree? You know? Mm-hmm. And I have to live with that. Yeah. So they're not under the tree yet. They're not under the tree yet. Yeah. They're not, you know? Yeah. And I would just appreciate if she would wait, wait till the week of, hold them back, put them in a closet. You want me to get her on the phone? We could get a caller? Maybe. On maybe the show? we might need to call her in. Because <laughs> we can like, handle it right here. I, I'd like, what? And now I have to look at, the, like, there's multiple gifts. What are the scale of those gifts? Have mm. we agreed upon a value of these tell you gifts? What, tell you what, you got real Grinch energy. No, I love Christmas, well, man. I'm the Christmas guy in our family. I don't know. I'm, I'm Christmas Samir. <laughs> well, I guess not. Chris Mir. You don't even like the gifts? Well, okay, that's a gripe of mine. I think pulling the trigger too early on gifts under the tree creates situations of high stress. Yeah, I, I, you know, dealing with the same thing. There's a gift under the tree and I need to start acquiring some gifts. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, it's happening. Um, all right, this came via Instagram DM. Starts off with, do you offer in-person appointments? Currently, creator support is just a digital Yeah, it's just a digital experience. Line. But I will say for just a quick second, I am waving and saying hello to a camera. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot we are filming this. We are filming uh, right now and just exploring, turning this again, as we mentioned, the past couple of weeks, exploring Patreon, exploring membership, exploring bonus content, filming the show. It's pretty fun. I think it looks really cool, too. Um, you guys can't see that, but do we offer in-person appointments? No, but maybe this is the closest thing we'll get to. Maybe we'll start doing live in our membership space. Would love to hear feedback on all of this. All right, back to the question. Hey guys, this is Patricio Gallardo. Does that feel right? <laughs> Feels like you didn't say it right. Patricio Gallardo. Please tell me if I said that right. I'm an actor and I recently started doing YouTube vlogs. I reactivated my YouTube channel and stopped filming in 2018. I still regret it. Although I'm a fairly known actor in Latin America, I'm struggling with reactivating YouTube, at least with lifestyle relationship-based vlogging. As a different concept I did for the past four months did fairly well. I also started doing this vlogging type of videos two weeks ago. I guess I'm being impatient, but anyways. My question is, do you offer private sessions uh, to look at it in detail, or do you have any advice? Should I just keep uploading? I have 1.5 million on TikTok, 600... 30,000 on Instagram. And though it's not making any difference as I have about 500 views per vlog, LOL. What can I do? Please help. Tried to send that on creator support, but I have a 750 character limit. <laughs> I, I do think um, patience is an incredibly valuable asset here on your side. Like it seems like you have really good distribution on the other platforms. I think the one main question that I would ask if you were sitting here, we were doing an in-person session, I would say, why YouTube? Why, do, why, why is YouTube a part of this strategy? So I, I, do, I do think that that's like, you know, probably the most important question to answer. Now, if your answer is, I want to build a lot of depth with my audience and I want this channel to build a catalog that people can come across over long periods of time, I think that's a really good answer. Uh, and also, if you say, I enjoy making YouTube videos, I think that's a really good answer too. On first glance of your channel, I am not great with Spanish titles. All the titles are in Spanish. I would say we probably need a bit of thumbnail support here. And I think that comes into a conversation that we've been having with multiple creators. We actually just got off the phone with Jesse, who's, who's formerly of, of Nelk. And the one thing that we talked about was for people to care about your vlog, you know, when it comes to your personality, you kind of have to open 
the door by covering topics that have more of a mass audience. The subject matter of you, especially after a four-year hiatus, the subject matter of you is not going to have a mass appeal. The subject matter of, you know, maybe if you are going to try, I don't know, what's like a mass thing? Trying pizza? Trying different types of pizza? Like that's it. That's a little bit more mass. Food is universal. Food is universal. Like can you cover subjects that are more universal? Yeah, right now, even as I look at your thumbnails, I only see you and maybe a colleague, a friend or whatever. But I agree with Samir. I think there needs to be uh, something in the concept that, you know, a stranger could connect to because after so many years off, you kind of need to start doing some formats that people can connect to even if they don't know who you are. And that's going to come down to, at first glance, if your thumbnail shows up on the browse page, if I don't know who you are and all I see is your face, I'm moving on. So I think you need to think about, like, in your thumbnails, are there some universal concepts that, that I may be interested in if I don't know who you are? Yeah. I mean, we had that conversation with um, Ashley Alexander as well. She started her channel doing fashion hauls and then over time moved into vlogging. So I don't think vlogging as an initial, vlogging about yourself as an initial you know, kind of jumping off point is the right move. Uh, vlogging as a tool eventually to, to showcase things or as a tool initially to showcase things with more mass appeal, that would be nice. And I also think this stuff is gonna take time. You know, you had an audience at one point. I don't think subscribers are a great metric of your current audience because they subscribe for something else. You know, they subscribed a couple of years ago, they might have different interests. Um, every one of those subscribed at a different time for a different reason. And if you're changing your strategy, you're rebuilding right now. Mm-hmm. So this might take months, years, but if you're committed to it and you like it, you'll start to, to, to find your flow. The biggest piece of advice I would give is uh, have your subject matter be more appealing at scale. Oh, did you watch Ludwig's chess boxing event? I didn't. I saw some clips. It was insane. It seemed insane. Did, did you watch Mr. Beast's Rock, Paper, Scissors tournament? I tuned in for a little bit. I think we're moving into a world of a lot more live content on YouTube. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, I think the mass exodus of Twitch has moved YouTube to being this very good option for live content. I also think YouTube has done a good job of cataloging types of videos on channels now, separating them. If you go to CoffeeZilla's channel, he has a whole tab of live content that's put in a different place. And it's, it's like there's a, there's a videos tab, a shorts tab, and a live tab. And it makes live content, to me, like the fact that it's, it's different. It's treated differently on YouTube. It's, it's in a different shelf. It's much more appealing. Because when all of this stuff is mixed together, it's kind of confusing. And that's something you and I were talking about too. The fact that live is treated differently on YouTube now, I think is a big deal. And Ludwig's chess boxing event, just to kind of give you a high level, if you don't know what it is, it was, <laughs> I, don't, I was watching it and I was like, this is crazy. You have two people enter a ring. They play like, I think it was two minutes of chess and a minute and a half of boxing. So they play chess for two minutes. Then they box each other. Then they sit back down and play chess and they could knock each other out in either of those, right? Like you could beat someone in chess or you could knock them out in boxing and then you won. What I love about this is, as far as I know, it is a one-of-a-kind event. I don't think that's happened before, correct? This is not like a thing. I don't chess know. boxing is not a thing. Correct us if we're wrong. Is chess boxing a thing? Because like, it was very entertaining. 
So um, a couple really interesting things about it. It was available with multi-track audio. Yeah. In English, French, and Spanish. Yeah. That's very unique. And Ludwig spent $1.5 million putting on the event. I mean, it was in a stadium, like, or a arena. Um, and I think more so than just live having a moment on YouTube, I think live events is having a moment. It's a distinction between I'm going to stream on my channel from my office and I'm going to put on an event that's higher production that I'm going to talk about for a while that a lot of people can attend or watch and they know it's coming, right? Because like Ludwig as a live streamer, he's live all the time. You can get access to him all the time. But he's also known for these live events. And when he was on our show, he said, that's actually what people remember when they look back at the mm -hmm. year and say like, oh, what did Ludwig do again? Oh yeah, he did yeah. the chess boxing event. He's they won't so think, good at that. oh yeah, he made that video about the fall of Twitch. Maybe, but like, no, you know what right. I mean? Like yeah, it's the right. big events. And I think even with Mr. Beast doing it, uh, Sidemen doing their charity football match, which yeah. was live, it's, I think creators are doing this because there's a couple of reasons. It gives your audience and your community an opportunity to rally around a piece of content and to be all together at the same exact time. It's a good point. And it's monetizable in a very different way. Very different way. It's appointment viewing, and it's such a concentrated group of people for a concentrated amount of time, which makes the sponsorship way more valuable. Now, I love what you're saying about this, like, th this concept that if you do this thing, it's the thing that people talk about. Like with the Sidemen, I really haven't watched many Sidemen videos this year. But to me, they were one of the, they made some of the biggest impact this year with the Sidemen charity football match. So that's like, they stick in my mind because they have this big event and their brand feels really large, larger than life because they have this big event. And, you know, alongside that, Ludwig, so there was 317 million peak concurrent viewers watching this, which means like that's the peak of the amount of people who are watching live at the same time. <clears throat> now, he has also gone from one live event to like tons of clips. Each match has been clipped out and all of those like were clipped immediately. So it went from, you know, okay, this is live right now to once a match is over, it was clipped and put on the channel and you could watch it. And some of these have insane, like, you know, a million views as a clip. So he had one recording session that was broken up into a ton of videos that really boosted his channel and just gave him so much content. I'm surprised he, this was his strategy though, that he clipped everything out and put it on his main channel. It's bold. It is bold. Because you and I have said for a long time that the network strategy doesn't necessarily work on YouTube anymore. Yeah. And Explain by that, that. by that we that, mean, yeah. you know, a, a TV network will have a bunch of different shows from different hosts in different formats and different styles. And on YouTube, in our opinion, that doesn't necessarily work. You know, there, yeah. there were a lot of YouTube networks that struggled. There was one called Network <clears throat> A yeah, uh, about extreme sports, right? Like action sports. And there was tons of different <clears throat> mini shows and hosts. And it's just tough for an audience to latch on to the channel because, you know, you come to YouTube for a human connection most of the time to who the creator is and what they have to say. And there's a linear narrative from video to video to video. And I was fascinated to see that Ludwig made this choice. And I think it's actually very liberating that he put these clips on his main channel. Like he's worked yeah. hard to build this distribution. He has a place now where he can put up a ton of videos from this event that he paid a lot for and worked really hard for. But it's not what you would expect. Yeah, but I think Ludwig is doing so much. Like um, less than a month ago, he did a subathon. Like he did subathon 2.0 less than a month ago. So he's taking so many swings that 
I think he holds some of the stuff less precious because if this didn't work, I think he has the confidence that it's okay. It'll just, it'll just carry on and do the next big thing. It makes me think about, you know, next year, if, if we were going to do an episode of creator support live, yeah. would we do it on the main channel or would we be too afraid to kind of mess yeah. with the brand that is our main channel? I, I think that fear, which a lot of creators have, and us included, might not be as founded as it used to be. Like, I think that experimentation is much more okay than it used to be on YouTube right now. And I do think you can see as they're slicing this stuff up, like, I don't think, and, and I don't know this, I don't work at YouTube, I can ask some of the engineers at YouTube, but like, if we, if we do a live stream and it doesn't perform, does that impact our next, our upload? next upload? I mean, what YouTube always says about even a bad video and you know that your next video is it doesn't really have a relationship and we've seen like we can you, you know our Mr Beast burger doc like that performs really well our next couple of videos do perform a little bit better not to that same scale but like they perform a little bit better we've come out of slumps where we've had 3 10 out of 10s in a row and just come back up and have better videos i don't know i think maybe we are living in a world where this stuff is less precious and you can experiment and it, it's liberating to see Ludwig do this stuff. And I think he's, in my opinion, been one of the most innovative people this year on the platform. Between Mogul Mail and these events that he's doing, like he has dominated YouTube this year. I think it's really mm -hmm. impressive. And I think live will become such a big part of YouTube in 2023. I think a lot of it is because he's not afraid to take bigger swings and to experiment still with his channel. You know, for me, I, I look at what he did here by holding this event with a bunch of creators and then clipping everything out and just releasing it on his main channel. And our version of that would be, you know, you and I, Samir, hosting a big event where a lot of different creators maybe are teaching, like a conference essentially, mm -hmm. right? We host our own conference, we clip out the talks of all the different creators and they go on our main channel. That would be our version of this. But I don't think we would do that. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it sounds fun. Well, the conference sounds fun. Yeah. But would we clip out those talks and put them on our main channel? Oh, yeah. I would, I don't know. I, I, I would probably have to look at it and see, like, is it good content? That yeah. would be my first question, you know? Like, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's the Jimmy world, which is meaning Mr. Beast, which is if it's not your next best video, don't put it up. And then there's another world, which is like entertaining or, or building a niche community is really valuable. I think we fall a little bit more into building a community. Like we're not living and dying by if our next video one-ups our last video. It should be improving in quality. But the most important is that's delivering on the promise that we've set out to all of you, that it's, it's educational, it's what you expect, you're learning something, and we're providing a new roadmap for how this career happens. You know, the, uh, the other line of thinking is like after we put out the Mr. B stock, like you hold until you have something as good as that. And that's holding your channel very precious. And I think Jimmy has done an amazing job of that, being like, if it's not my next best video, it's not going up. And I do think it's just two schools of thought. And it's different ways of using YouTube, you know? Yeah, it's like, do you want to make your channel bingeable where everything's the same? Yeah. And someone could come on, find one of your videos, and then watch 20? Or with Ludwig, I mean, he has tons of different formats. Some of his videos he's not even in right now. Mm -hmm. Are you just taking a ton of shots? Yeah. I also think it's interesting, and maybe it um, changes the dynamic when you have a second channel like Mogul Mail where you're almost like spreading out your risk across multiple things, right? Ludwig's not, this is not Ludwig's only distribution outlet. Like Ludwig goes live, right? He has Mogul Mail, which has been incredibly successful this year. Um, there's like, there's a lot of different distribution outlets of how you get Ludwig. And maybe he's, he's just less 
you know, precious about what happens on the Ludwig main channel. There's a question that, that we could ask him. Yeah, true. Should Ludwig, I call? What, should are you, I, what are you thinking, man? Should I call him? Sure. This feels like one of those radio shows where you like call someone live. Mm-hmm. I hope he picks up. I mean, that would be really exciting. Hello? Yo, what's up, dude? Hey. Do you, oh, you, you, do you have a second? Yeah, what's up? Uh, Colin and I are recording our podcast, uh, and we had okay. a question about the chess boxing event and your strategy. Sure. With it. sure are you sure. are you cool if this is on air? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. We have a question about your clip strategy uh, and your thinking behind clipping all those like matches and moments out and putting them on your main channel. Did you have uh-huh. any hesitation around putting that much content up and having it maybe not match the expectation of what people thought a, a Ludwig video is, or were you just kind of like, th- th- we're putting all these clips out because this is the event. This is what's happening. No, yeah. Fuck it. I uh, did a Christmas album like two years ago or something. And, uh, and I dropped all six songs and I just released some batch and then like a playlist of all six in one video. And I just released all seven. And, uh, and ever since then I had like a, like a, I don't know what the number was, but five to 10 million, uh, increase of viewer in videos per month. And it didn't like go down the next month. Got it. Uh, and so I've never been afraid of like batch uploading something that's, uh, pertinent to, uh, what people want to watch. Especially because like, if I didn't do it, someone else would have uploaded it. So I might as well that's upload true. it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, we are just spending all this time praising your chess boxing event and, and how much it's, uh, inspired us to want to experiment and do something cool next year. Uh, I appreciate it. Well, hey, if it inspires you to want a chess box, let me know. I don't, uh, uh, I don't know, man. I ha- I got some boxing energy, though, I got to tell you. Samir does have it. boxing I, energy. I have boxing energy right now. So if you have someone for me. I like how the part that's terrifying you is the chess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not scared of the boxing, man. I think I would just get yeah. really good at boxing and be pretty bad at chess. But and humiliating his intelligence. Yeah, mm. I would try and knock the guy out in the first boxing round, you know? Yeah. And just you know for, what? Forget that the was chess. an effective strategy for a couple people. I know so it was. It was. All right, dude. Well, thanks for picking up. All right, I'm going to. <laughs> All right, later, man. Yeah, I love Ludwig's attitude. Yeah, he goes, oh, uh, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, but that's his vibe. Like, that, even yeah. hanging out with him or, like, interviewing him, like, he's just like, yeah, what are you guys talking about? Why are you, like, just do it. Just just do something different and, and just whatever. Yeah, he has a great, like, base level energy and pulse for who he is, and he just moves. Yeah. Right? Like, I think you and I are very in our heads. We're very strategic. For sure, yeah. We try and take a lot of time. Yeah, but I've been thinking a lot recently about like, what's the worst that happens? Like we've been able to climb out of viewership dips always with just good videos. So if you experiment and it doesn't work, like we know that we can just climb out, right? Yeah, I mean, for me next year, it's just entirely about making sure I I really like what we're making. Whether that's an episode of creator support, like did I have a good time? Do I feel like there's value there? Yeah. Or going behind the scenes with a creator. Am I really proud of that? Yeah. You know? Totally. All right. Well, that was cool that Ludwig picked up yeah. and then we got to hear his uh, his position on, on his clips. Yeah. We should do more creator calls. Yeah. We should do a lot more creator calls. Let some of our friends know at any time. Yeah, be ready at any time. We could be calling you. You're mic, live. This mic may be hot. You're live on, on creator support. All right. We're going to wrap there. If you guys have questions, drop them in the subreddit, r slash Colin and Samir. This might be our last creator support episode of the year. Is that right? Maybe. 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 I mean, when are we going to record again? Let's call it a maybe. It's a maybe. I mean, we'll cut this out if it's not. But um, if it is, if this is our last creator support episode, there will be a few more episodes that that come out. But Colin is traveling back east 
back home. Uh, so you might hear from me individually. You might hear from uh, a few different... Who? Like my wife. You might oh. hear from my wife. You might hear from... I don't know. We'll just experiment. Right. Again, I'm not afraid. Okay. Put anything out on this feed. Sure. Yeah. Anything could happen. So stay tuned. All right. We'll see you next week. Right.